Hey, thanks, Michael. We are in a celebration, really, of a couple of different seasons right now as a church. We're first and foremost celebrating allergy season here in Georgia. And so if you are partaking and celebrating of that, um, happy Zyrtec sale at Kroger. The second season that we're celebrating is a little bit more of a traditional season that we celebrate in the church. That's the season of Lent. And I know if you didn't grow up in a background where Lent is celebrated, there's a little bit of that question mark. Well, what is this? Why do we do it? Um, what's the purpose? And really, the purpose of Lent is this season right before Easter where we contemplate and slow down and anticipate the coming of salvation, the coming of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the need that we have for our souls to be redeemed and repaired. And so it is traditional during Lent to give up, to sacrifice something, and, and specifically to give up and sacrifice something with the purpose of, of that sacrifice drawing us into a more attentive relationship with the reality of who Jesus Christ is. That in the absence of whatever that would be, we would feel the absence of perfection in the current world and that we would also feel an attention to the way that God fills the holes that the world has left in our souls. And so as we've been celebrating Lent, we've also been going alongside the vision that our church has for this year, that we would be a people that pray like our lives depend on it. We don't want to be a people that pray to check a box. We don't want to be a people that pray dry and empty prayers. We don't want to be a people that forget to pray. We want to be a people that pray like our lives depend on it. So at the intersection of those two realities, we have the book of Psalms, and we have this picture of what a raw, attentive faith truly looks like. What does it sound like for us to deeply go to the Lord in prayer, for him to see the reality of our needs and our struggles and our sin, and for us to see the reality of his goodness and his sovereignty. And so we've looked through this series, The Sound of Faith, at all of the different ways that we enter into this space of prayer. We've looked at praying from need and brokenness and, and hurt. We're gonna continue to look at these different aspects. Today, we're gonna look at one that I don't know that we naturally associate with our faith. I actually think something in us really doesn't like to think about this one too much in relation to our faith. And we're going to look at what do we do when we're angry? And it's interesting when you think about praying out of a place of anger, because usually this is not an emotion that we allow into the sphere of our relationship with God, but it's one of the most prevalent emotions that you see, especially in the cultural space we live in right now. It just seems like culturally we're in a season of anger. No one said it's wrong, right? Like there's righteous anger. Scripture talks about it. Scripture says be angry and don't sin. I'm not saying it's bad that we're angry. I'm saying anger can lead to sin. And if you look around, you see that we're an angry culture. You see anger and outrage really everywhere. It's kind of amplified in the news and with social media and, and through the way discourse is happening. Even this week, so I was going to get gas um, a couple days ago, and I pulled up to the gas station, and it's just a very nice, typical scene in East Cobb. Everybody's getting their gas. It's sunny. I pull up next to this, this woman who looks like she probably has grandkids, which is maybe that's controversial to say, but I just to be like, that's, that was my impression is here's a really sweet grandmother talking on the phone while she's filling up her car. So I get out of my car, start filling up, and you can kind of hear people at different volumes. And man, she is railing at whoever's on the phone about how she's going to find someone that has wronged her and do some things to her that I can't repeat right now without us initiating a new senior pastor search. I mean, just furious. And so I'm driving up thinking, oh, here's a sweet older gal just filling a gas tank up. No, no, she was bent for revenge. 
She had a plan. She had some techniques. And she had clearly thought this through at a level that law enforcement would find interesting if there was ever a subpoena issued. Okay? That's just kind of where we're at as a people right now. Our first instinct is just to get angry. And so it's interesting because at its heart, anger is an expression of us recognizing and not being okay with something. At its core basis, we get angry when something isn't the way it's supposed to be. Now, whether we're justified in that anger or not is a completely different situation. It is what it is. We are angry when something is not the way it's supposed to be. No one looks at a situation that is beneficial to them, that is ideal for them, and that brings them joy and says, I am furious about this right now. It just doesn't happen. Anger is an expression of this realization that something's not right. What's fascinating about this is of all of the places that we're angry, of all of the places that anger seems to define the cultural milieu that we're kind of living in right now, it never seems to make its way into our relationship with God. But it doesn't mean we're not angry with God. It just means we don't like to talk to him about it. So we kind of want to dig into that a little bit today. What is it about this that where we don't, we don't feel like we can have this raw expression of where we're at with God, even towards him? Because when we get angry with God, it's because we feel like he, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. God, why aren't you being God? Why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? Why is this this way? You're supposed to be doing your job and you're not doing it right now. We feel that. We think that. We very often don't allow that to be present in how we are relating to him. So what we're going to do is we're going to be in Psalm 142, and we're going to just look a little bit about what it looks like for us to engage God in a season where we might be angry. Because here's what we don't want. We don't want our anger with God to cause us to disconnect from a relationship with him. And if we don't engage God with our anger, if we don't invite him into that space to see where we're at, even if we know maybe we're being unreasonable, generally that leads to disconnection, to cynicism, to feeling disenfranchised. And our faith kind of just crumbles under the facade of niceness that we want to build, even though God sees everything. And so we want to talk about how do we go to God with our anger? Why do we do that? How do we do that? So, so let's pick it up. <clears throat> In, in the first sub super kind of summary of this psalm, if you will, it says a mascal of David. This is one of the few that we know when he wrote it. It says when he was in the cave. So if you know anything about the life of David before he was the king of Israel, the present king of Israel was not happy with David's surging popularity in the polls. Cable news was fascinated by David. They had him on for interviews. He um, did very well on social media and, and Saul was not happy about that. So he hunted him and tried to kill him to the point where there is a season in David's life where he's hiding in a cave in the wilderness of Judea while he's being pursued by a very powerful man with a lot of angry men with swords. And so you get a sense of where he's coming from even when you understand the setting of when this prayer, when the psalm was written. And I just love the first section. He says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I love this, this verse right here in, in, in verse 2. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way or you know what's happening to me. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. One of the, I think, really multi-layered beautiful aspects of the Psalms is there's a lot of different layers happening here. 
you see some despair, you see some sadness, you see some hopelessness, there has to be some anger in here. When he's pouring out his complaints before God, he's not happy about his situation. He's not thrilled with where he's at. And in his heart, you get this sense of, God, where are you? Where are you? And what's striking to me about this that I think we miss is he's completely comfortable letting God see where he's frustrated and upset. I don't know what it is in us, but I think we feel like we can't be vulnerable with God because if we are, then, then he might do something bad to us, right? Like if I misbehave in front of him, if I don't speak to him the right way, if he sees who I really am, then we might be sort of in lightning bolt territory, right? Like if I do this, is he going to like, you know, cause my brake lights to go out? Is he going to—that's that, not how God works. That's not how God works. And so I just wonder if sometimes the first step in our prayer life when we feel angry with God is to be honest with him about it. Um, I don't know relationally how you work, but one of, one of the frustrations that I have relationally when I'm trying to engage someone in relationship is when they're clearly upset and I ask them what is wrong and they say, nothing. Is anybody with me? There's two people in this room. There's the people who are frustrated and there's the people who say nothing. And everyone nodding right now, you're on my team on this. And so thank you for the support. There's something frustrating when you know something is wrong, but someone won't say what's wrong. That creates this disconnect and this barrier. Please respect relational boundaries. If someone's like, I don't want to talk about it right now, don't make them talk about it. That was the learning curve of my first three years of my marriage or so. I'm not advocating and it, it just disregard of boundaries. Here's what I am saying. When we think about our relationship with the Lord, so often when we're mad, I think coming into God's presence where he would say, what's wrong? And let's be honest, he already knows. We would say, nothing, it's fine. Let me pray some nice church words and just not allow how I'm really feeling to make you any angrier with me than you already are. And I, I think there is this honestly shocking borderline offensive picture of this if you've ever seen the west wing in season two um president bartlett is um really upset with god for a multitude of reasons and it kind of um comes to a head when his longtime secretary who he's known since a teenager is killed when a drunk driver hits her and so then he's just in this chapel railing at God about how could you do this to me? Who, you know, how can you be good if this is what you're doing? And, and other things that probably aren't the best for me to say in this context. And you just see this picture of a man who is furious with God and in the moment is saying, God, this is exactly how I feel. And I just wonder if for some of us, there's a block in our prayer life or a block in our relationship with God because we don't feel like we can be open and authentic with him about how we're feeling. And I know some of you are already skeptical because you're like, wait a second, he's God though. We should be respectful of him. And just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. That's true. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see why letting God into a raw picture of the wrestle that we have is actually the pathway into worshipful obedience. It does not help our relationship with God if we stuff, ignore, or pretend like we aren't struggling with what we're struggling with. It doesn't actually help us. So if we really want to wrestle, if we really want to be invited into what God is doing in our lives in the midst of our anger, the first step for us to do that is to invite him into that space. 
and to be open and vulnerable. We can be vulnerable and transparent with God in prayer. It doesn't have to be this flowery Victorian language that no one really understands with church buzzwords. When we go to the Lord in prayer, we can let him see the broken raw spaces in our hearts. And we're going to kind of walk through the trajectory of this wrestle with David because he keeps going. He says in verse 5, excuse me, he says in verse 4, he says, Look to the right and see, there's none who take notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares to my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Here's what he's saying. He said, God, I have nothing else but you, but I, I believe that I, you can be what I need. When he's saying you are my refuge and my portion, let's talk about that a little bit. So when God's people went into the promised land, it was divided up into portions for God's people. Based on your tribe and a couple of other factors, you had land allotments to you in the promised land, okay? Except for the priests. Except for the priests. They were given what their portion was in the Lord. That was the language that was used. The Lord is your inheritance. The Lord is your portion. Worshiping God is what you have. You are set apart and different. David is echoing this promise that God gave to his people that God would be his inheritance, his portion, his provision, his peace. He's saying, I don't have anything else, but God, I have you. You can be my portion. And the crazy thing about this is he seems to actually believe it. Here's what he believes, that God is going to see him and still love him in his weakness and brokenness. And it's amazing that he goes from pouring out his complaints to the Lord to two verses later saying, God, you can be my portion. He goes from this really kind of crazy roller coaster from anger into almost a trust in God where there's a belief that God hasn't ignored him because he's been a little bit edgy. And I think this goes into the arc of the wrestle that's going to culminate in the third point. But we can be seen and loved in our weakness. So often we take our human relationships and project those dynamics onto our relationship with the Lord. And is there anything scarier in a human relationship than when someone sees the worst parts of you for the first time? Like you don't mean to, you don't necessarily want them to. It just kind of it slipped up and it happened because you were human and you finally spent long enough around them that the mask came off. Have you guys experienced kind of that vulnerability hangover of, oh no, are they still going to want to be my friend? They saw me lose my cool, or oh man, they saw what the inside of my car looks like. I didn't get a chance to clean that like I, I usually do. Um, they know this about my financial struggles. They know this about my family baggage. They know this about my anxiety. They know this about my language problem where sometimes I say bad words more than I should. Whatever it is, right? Like fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. But like, are you familiar with that fear that you have when someone has actually seen you at one of your not best moments? And unfortunately, a lot of the times in human relationships, people see that and they kind of back off. They're like, whoa, I didn't know that's what I was signing up for. And we felt that pain. And so when we apply that concept to our relationship with God, I think one of the reasons we don't invite him into the wrestle, where we don't invite him into our struggle, is because like, man, if God really saw me, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. And what's beautiful about the raw faith of David in this prayer is that he goes from pouring out his heart into the Lord into a complete confidence that God's still going to be there and keep his promises. It doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean that it was without pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that it was without hurt. He's still in the cave. He's writing this from the cave. 
But in his wrestle, he taps into this reality in this wrestle with God about who God is and anchors his heart in the reality that God's still going to see him in his weakness. In his imperfection, God doesn't abandon him or go, ooh, you know what? I think I'm going to find somebody that's a little more stable. I'm going to find somebody whose life's a little bit more together. David, you were promising, um, loved what you did with Goliath, but I didn't see this coming. Um, You're a little bit too much for me. He didn't do that. When we wrestle with God, when he sees those, those frustrated, impatient, anxious parts of our souls, he, he doesn't stop becoming a father who loves us. He doesn't stop moving in us. He doesn't stop seeing us or being near to us. God's presence is consistent with his character, not our emotional stability. God's presence and love is not dependent on our ability to be polished and perfect and pretty. And the Psalms are beautiful because you just see this. You see David say, I've got all these complaints. I've got some thoughts about this. I'm in this cave. God, I'm so glad that you're going to be my provision. Like, how do you do that from verse 3 to verse 5? It's like, there is a real wrestle that you see going on here. So how does that work? How does that end? Let's, let's keep going because we really get, I think, the end of this wrestle encapsulated in, in the very end of this. And it's really the answer to the question of why should we wrestle with God? Why should we let God see our anger? If he's God anyways, <clears throat> why should we wrestle with him? He goes on, he says, attend to my cry. <clears throat> Happy allergy season. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. They are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. He is asking God to do what he believes God's going to say. Show up and save me. Deliver me. Do what only you can do, God. I need you to save me. How does he go from crisis to faith? How does he go from being angry and having complaints to ending in a place of faith? How can he do that when his initial complaint, remember, anger is this is not the way it's supposed to be. Anger with God is, God, you're not being God the right way. Can I explain to you how to be God? We've all felt that. It's just even though I don't really want to admit it, but you know, like we have. How does he do that? What happens from crisis to faith here? It's the same pattern you see really throughout Scripture. One of my favorite places is in the book of Jonah. And I don't, if you know the story, Jonah was a prophet. Maybe you've seen the Veggie Tales. I don't know. Um, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh to preach um, God's repentance to the evil people there. So a fish swallows him. He's in there for three days. He spits out. He preaches. They repent. You never get the end of the story, which is depressed emo Jonah listening to Fallout Boy on a beach asking God to kill him. Right? So at the end of Jonah, you see this reality where he's wrestling with God. He's furious with God because God saved these pagan heathen people. How could you do that, God? I just want to die. You see Jonah asking the same questions that David is of God, you're not doing this right. And he's wrestling with God. He invites God into this wrestle. Can I tell you why we don't want to wrestle with God with our anger? Because at some point, we have a very core belief, at least 99% of us do, that if we wrestle with God, we're going to lose. Right? Like most people aren't like, I could take him. That's just, that's not where our brains go. Most of us don't want to wrestle with God because we know we'd lose. And in Jonah's life, 
And in David's life, you see God redefine the purpose of the wrestle. God does not invite us to wrestle with him so that we can win. God invites us to wrestle with him so we can have a better understanding of who he is. We don't wrestle to win. We wrestle to understand the nature of God. Because the beginning of our anger with God is a misunderstanding about who he is. God, it seems like you're not doing your job right. God's response to that wrestle isn't to lightning bolt strike somebody down. God's response to that wrestle in multiple points in scripture is to draw people close and ask them questions so he can teach them something about his nature, about his sovereignty, and about his care for us. So with Jonah, the first question he asks him, which I find I repeat to myself sometimes when I'm angry is, does it do you good to be angry? Is this helping you? He doesn't say, how dare you, Jonah? Back in the fish. <laughs> Take the eyeliner off and, and listen to some country music or something happier. He doesn't say that, right? He says, does it help you to be angry? What is that doing for you? Is that getting you closer to where you want to be or is it getting you farther from where you want to be? Consistently, when we wrestle with God in his grace and goodness, he allows that wrestle and he teaches us who he is. He's reminding Jonah that, hey, I have the ability as a sovereign God to save who I want to save because I love people. You might have a limited understanding of my character. Can we expand the truth of my goodness in a way that helps you? In David, God doesn't explicitly answer him here, but you almost just see David's end of the conversation playing out. God, I have complaints. God, this is the promises that you've made to my people. God, I know that I can count on you and ask you to save me. Despite my ugly, angry words, despite the edges of my heart that are a little bit rougher than they need to be, despite the areas I've been disobedient, I can still trust you to save me. Because in that wrestle and in that anger, when we come close to God, we can count on a couple of different realities. God is strong enough to handle our anger. You're not going to scare him, right? God's not going to stop loving you because you're mad. He understands that all of us are imperfect incomplete and unsovereign beings. He knows that we don't have it all figured out. He sees us for who we are. Even at our weakest places, it is safe to allow God to see our imperfections. And third, we have a God who's promised to save us, right? And this is what we see here at the end is God is present with the troubled and the guilty. And that's all of us. All of us are troubled. All of us have areas of guilt where we haven't done things perfectly. There is no one who can say they're without sin. And those are the people that God is close to. Even David in the cave, a man after God's own heart, was not perfect. Yet he still has this confidence to say, attend to my cry and deliver me from my persecutors. How does he have the confidence to do that? Because in his wrestle, he's brought into these stark reminders of God's character. And in our anger, when we shut off and disconnect from God, we drift further away from those reminders of his character into the lies of the world that would tell us things about God that simply aren't true. Because we're terrified that if he really saw us angry, then he might do something bad. It's not the way he works. It's not the way he works. God is present with those that are troubled, with those that are guilty, with those that are oppressed, with those that are mistreated. God is present with the people that are weak, vulnerable, and low. Scripture says this over and over again. God is present with those that are troubled and hurting. 
The troubles and hurts of a broken world are dangerous because they break relationships, they extinguish hope, they breed confusion and discontent, they bring open wounds, and in the midst of that storm, it's normal that we would feel angry. The most powerful action that we take in the midst of that anger and brokenness is to invite God into the wrestles of our hearts as we sort out a good God in a broken world. Because that's where he wants to be, is reminding us of who he is, of what it means to know him, and how when we understand that, we see the ways that he is a good God who saves us. And listen, we do that every week. This is why we celebrate communion. Because we understand that when we go to God and ask for salvation, our ultimate hope and healing is not just in the temporary salvation he gives us here, it's in the eternal salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And so how in our wrestles is we're going to God in prayer and inviting him to wrestle with us in our anger and to reveal who he is, how do we encounter those reminders of who God is and what that means. This is a powerful reminder that Jesus instituted and said, remember me, this is my body, this is my blood, was broken for you and spilled for you so that you can have forgiveness and hope and eternal life, so that you can be saved from the cave of sin that we're born into, that we have this shield against a broken world that can hurt us. And so we have these reminders that we can touch and that we taste every week. So that as we go to God in prayer, we have these touch points that form this confidence in our souls that God can handle our anger, that God will answer our cry, that he will engage our wrestle. We don't always understand how. We don't always understand and, and we can't always plan out the when, but we can trust the who. God's word is an important anchor for our souls and our wrestle. Community is a key anchor for our souls in a wrestle. Not in a way that they can explain what God's doing, but just that they can sit and be with us in that wrestle and support us and pray with us and cry with us. And so as God's people, we wrestle together in the unity that we have through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so today, as we come and we respond to God's word, I would invite us to wrestle well with God this week to invite him into the vulnerable places where you feel angry, where you're uncertain, where you don't understand what he's doing, where you feel persecuted or trapped or attacked, where you don't understand why he's not doing his job right. Instead of disconnecting and walking away from God and letting that anger erode those edges of your soul, scripture would invite us to pour those complaints out before our Father, that in that difficulty, in that wrestle, in that strain and in the tears, that God would show us more clearly who he is. And that is a loving father who is working all things together for those who love him, even when it hurts, even when we don't understand. We can trust that God is present, that he has redeemed us and that he loves us. God, we thank you for just the picture of faith that we see in the Psalms. Um, one that's not perfect, one that is not a highlight reel or that doesn't ask us to be this model Christian whose life is organized and neat and successful, but rather invites us into your presence as broken people that are angry about things, maybe even angry with you right now because we don't see and we don't understand and we're hurting. So God, we ask that we would have the trust in you to be vulnerable and open 
and that you would show up in those wrestles and that you would help us to see and understand who you are so that we can love you more and so that we can worship you for the truth of who you are and so that we can be a light to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.